Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finneran of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. This next hour, we study the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our life and our light. The light shines on us today from Paul's words in the last chapter of Colossians. Paul ends this epistle with a few instructions about prayer, but also final greetings to the laundry list of faithful co-workers in the proclamation of Christ. This is a good reminder for us as God's people that we are never lone rangers. As we hear these words today, may the Lord be with us for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Thy Strong Word is generously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. We give thanks for them and visit their website, lhfmissions.org, for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have back with us Ryan, Pastor Ryan Fearman of Zion Lutheran Church in Wausau, Wisconsin. Pastor Fearman, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Hey, thank you for having me on. It's great to be back. Pastor, we were talking before, and uh, you've been on KFUO for a long time. Our guess is, what, 15, 16 years, you think? That might be a little bit longer, but, I, <laughs> but I've been around the block a few times for sure. <laughs> well, it's a joy to have you back with us. But one of the things we've noticed my first uh, few months here on KFUO is that we have new listeners all the time. So can you take a moment to introduce yourself and the work of the Saints of Zion Lutheran? Sure. Uh, when you say Zion Lutheran Wausau, it's probably best to say we're in the rural area. So there's more cows around us and I have members. And that's typical <laughs> Wisconsin. But uh, I'm actually from this area. I graduated from UW-Madison with a degree oh, in archaeology and history. That's always been my interest. And uh, I turned that interest towards the parish and uh, use that background uh, when I teach, when I preach. And uh, the congregation here I serve, they're very musically orientated. We, we put on not in COVID years, but outside COVID years, a, a musical called Bow the Knee, uh, which pulls in tons of people from all over the place to join us in our choir. And that's always a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, we, we keep ourselves busy. Uh, we're a smaller congregation, and uh, that's good. I teach a little bit in the Lutheran, local Lutheran high school. I teach uh, religious studies and uh, history, especially church history. And so that keeps me out of trouble when I have some downtimes in the parish. Well, that's, that's great. You said high school that you teach? High school, yes. Okay. Okay. So they, do they have you teach archaeology then? Or how? Do no. they, what, what's the specialty they have you teach? Church history uh, oh, yeah. right now this yeah. year, though I do manage to work in a little philosophy as a side game. Yeah. Uh, but there's also, uh, you know, the, the religion courses, so often apologetics, uh, Lutheran theology, sometimes uh, books of the Bible or a New Testament or Old Testament course, it, pretty much whatever they need, uh, I'm happy to serve and on hand to do it. Well, thanks be to God for that. I am I'm always amazed at the different, uh, the different degrees that our pastors have received before they go to seminary. You know, it's probably the first time I've heard of archaeology as a college degree. Uh, I myself got an exercise science degree, and you hear all these different degrees, uh, um, that people have, but yet we all gather together to preach the truth and to point people to Christ. So thanks be to God for that. Well, and that's why we're here. Actually, I was going to ask you this, is uh, one town described it to me that um, they had a lot of cows surrounding their town, and they said, you can smell the town before you see the town. Is that true where you are too? Well, I'm not in a town at all, but <laughs> oh, you church, certainly maybe. can smell the dairy air. If you uh, insert, sure, uh, you know, uh, very often uh, we have a special request with the farmers around us that they do not spread 
manure on the fields uh, on Sunday mornings, sure. especially because we don't have air conditioning. Oh, so, uh, so they're, they're pretty respectful. Most of them are members of this congregation too. So they're, they're doing what they need to do on Sunday morning. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely evident, uh, what part of the country we're in sometimes. Well, there it is. You gotta live where God has planted you. So pastor, as, as we say, let's get back on the farm, back to our focus and can sure. you begin our time? Can you begin our time in prayer? Let us pray. Heavenly father, as we enter into Holy Week, this day, we ask that you would bless us as we study your word, as you spoke in the temple and brought your word to the people that day. Now speak through us so that your people may be upheld and built through the Holy Spirit, that they may grasp your word and then apply it to their lives. Strengthen us through the same, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Pastor, we are already at the end of this epistle, which I'm kind of sad about because um, you, in many ways, I think you could spend twice, three times the amount of time on this epistle because there's so much going on. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it actually, I'm, I'm kind of motivated now that, as, as you said, as we're in Holy Week, once we get past Easter, to maybe do this in Sunday morning Bible study uh, because there's so much to unpack. So I want to get some of your thoughts as we look at the whole book or we look at this last chapter. Any thematic or background things you want to highlight to help us out? I think there's basically two things going on here. Uh, We have some further instructions from Paul on the Christian life, and it's really orientated outward. It's orientated towards evangelism in a lot of ways and prayer and how those things work together. And then we have what they do at the end of ancient letters, and and we do it in letters as well or on the phone, uh, is they have final greetings. Up here in Wisconsin, we we do that too. You know, tell your parents I says hello kind of stuff. And and, uh, Paul, Paul is doing that too. What's unique about it though is that it's like the longest version of this in any of the letters that we have. So there's a whole bunch of greetings to go through. You're, you're, yeah, exactly. He he really wraps it up nicely. And, and I'm looking forward to that part where it shows all these different people mm-hmm. that are involved in his ministry. And it kind of leaves us a little bit like, now who was that? And what was going on there? But also it brings all these people throughout the New Testament together. You're like, wait, they might have actually known each other, which is even more amazing um, to think about how the church came together then, and even how it gets to, it comes together today. Yeah, there's some so, big names in this list. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to be able to get to that point. And he, you know, when we look at chapter three, we talk about put on, put off the old self, put on the new self, and he gives a lot of instructions on how to live the Christian life, and he brings it back together, always pointing us to Christ. And so mm-hmm. let's begin starting in verse two, where there's a transition of his final instructions. So let's read verses two through four. Read two through four. And reminder to our listeners as well that we are reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Scriptures. Let us open our Bibles for the gifts are ready. Verse two, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So right away, he continues with the Christian life. He's talked about the rules for Christian households. Now he gets into the topic of prayer. How how does he speak about prayer here? Well, those first words are continue steadfastly. Uh, And I kind of like a translation that says devoted for steadfastly, but either one is is fine. Hmm. That, and it's, oh, 
we know going to seminary, we like these Greek things, participles. It's an ongoing action. So it's um, being devoted, being steadfast. It's the ongoing thing. It's it's integrated into your life. You just are this way. And Paul's encouraging them to continue in that way with prayer. And I have to admit, you know, when it says steadfast or when you say devoted, you know, I, I don't always feel that I'm as devoted as I should be. But it's an encouragement that Paul is giving and saying, hey, you know, keep on. Prayer is an interesting thing because you don't have to get it right. Christ lived the perfect prayer life for you. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he, 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 in all aspects of his life, he lived for us. And so this includes prayer. And so it's already taken care of. In fact, he intercedes on our behalf. The Holy Spirit helps us. The Father listens to us. God, the Trinity, is all for us. And so when Paul encourages us to continue steadfast in prayer, continue devoted in prayer, it's not like there's a mark that you have to hit. It's like Mm -hmm. this is the part of life that a Christian has. And so, you know, as his mercies are new every morning, we begin every morning once again in prayer. And if one day is not the best, continue steadfast, you know, keep at it, hack away at it. Uh, And so I, I really appreciate when Paul puts these things in here because it's an encouragement to me. It is law. But it's an encouragement to me to say, oh, yeah, you know, this this is part of what I should be doing. And we hear that in the in, uh, Thessal- first Thessalonians chapter five verse 17. Pray without ceasing was a similar language. Uh, uh, what did someone uh, a present imperative that we hear here that it's a uh, now and ongoing. Uh, uh, that yeah. There's uh, continually going on and on, like you said, participle language. And and this is difficult. Like what did uh, Dr. John Kleinig once said at a, a gathering? Uh, he's an Australian theologian, and he says something like, if you want to make someone feel guilty, you ask them how their prayer life is going. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, and that's why we can read that. Th- this way, sometimes when we read things like this, we say, oh. But I think Paul is just is is encouraging, is what he's trying mm-hmm. to do. He's trying to, and he's going to connect this up, as you read it, to, the, there's a purpose in this, too. I mean, it's not, right. you know, it's just not isolated here. But really, he's looking for the prayer on behalf of the gospel, where he's at. But let's hit the the watchful yeah, and with thanksgiving first. Uh, yeah, you know, watchful in scripture has a, diff- a lot of different things. You know, Christ talks about being watchful, looking for the end. There's also a sense, you know, we can look at it and saying, pray and then anticipate that God is going to hear and answer the these prayers, and He does. Uh, and so, but I like to use a term that's popular today that Christians, and I want you to understand this correctly, Christians have always been encouraged to be woke, not in the way that the world is, but they're encouraged to be woke in the sense that they have a very conscious appreciation of their faith, very thoughtful appreciation of the world around them, who Christ is, and that it is something that is in the forefront of our mind as we go through our daily lives. This is kind of like the the Jews had this command to keep the word of God on, on their foreheads and their foreheads and on their hands. They made little boxes to do that, to put the scriptures in, which is not what that verse in the Old Testament meant. It meant that as you process information through the day, that part of that processing is in Christ. And as you set your hand to do work that day, the work you do is in Christ. And so here, you know, continue steadfastly in prayer and process your prayers, process the world around you through the lens of Christ. And of course, he adds being thankful. And that and that processing includes looking around and saying, what has Christ done for me? And 
and what is Christ doing through me? And everybody's got something. Uh, and, and so he wants you to be woke, not as the world says, but alert and, and appreciative of Christ's activity, living active. Christ is resurrected. Even as we're heading towards Good Friday, we still remember, you know, we live in Easter. We don't live in Holy Week, but we observe it. And so we, we have this Christian life that we are to be aware of in Christ. I hope that makes sense. It, it does. It, it really does. And and it's one of those things I wasn't quite expecting to say that we are woke um, this morning. But here we are. We are we are woke and we are to be. And it reminds me of this, uh, to have our eyes open and our ears open to be able to see the opportunities for prayer. One mm-hmm. of my, my previous secretary that I had one time, I walk in her office and she's writing down all this stuff on her notebook. And I kind of just asked her what's going on. And she said, well, you, you talk about how we should pray a lot. And I realized this morning that three or four people had come in the office and they're just shooting the breeze. And at the end of the, in the, at the end of the conversation, they walked out and I realized, wait, they were basically asking me to pray. You know, like, oh, my kids are going through this or, you know, my, my wife is going through this or or whatever it was. They, it was like a request to pray. It was God put in front of you to saying, pray for this individual. It is so obvious. Here it is. And here is where God is at work. And I think that exactly is that wokeness. Would that would that be a definition of the wokeness that we were talking about? Yeah, I, I think so. I just like mm-hmm. to co-opt society's language here a little bit and turn <laughs> yeah, it to go the too good. Far. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but then he has a purpose for this prayer in verse mm-hmm. three. So what is the purpose? You know, uh, it's it's almost a cliche to hear among missionaries that they feel that their work can't go on without the prayers of the home church, you know, or the congregation supporting them. And, and you know, this is the, the er example, the beginning example of this. Many times in, in Paul's epistles, he asks for this, but he's asking for prayer that the opportunity to proclaim the gospel, he's in prison in Rome, you know, that there would be a door, there would be an opportunity to declare, and he says here, the, the mystery of Christ, which is the whole activity of what Christ has done. Uh, and and basically the gospel, we would say, that there is an opportunity for the, do- the gospel to be declared uh, in the place that he's at. And it's interesting that Paul, you know, big apostle Paul, you know, this is the man. Uh, and, and he's asking this little podunk congregation saying, I need your prayers. Pray for me. Uh, because the opportunity to share the gospel in some mysterious way is connected to the church praying as a whole. Uh, and so, so he, he, he asked them, he said, I need your help. And this is how you, how you can help. It's interesting, you know, people may feel, I don't have much to offer, uh, but you have prayers. And there are people that need prayer. My grandmother, I always use this example. My grandmother's passed away now. But once I was visiting her in the nursing home and talking to her about prayer and things like that, and I, you know, I said, well, you, you know, even though you can't get around and you have difficulty, you could pray for people. And she says, I know I do. Would you like to see my uh, prayer book? So mm-hmm. I'm thinking, you know, CPH, Concordia Publishing House produces some pretty fine prayer books. And I'm like, okay, well, which one is she going to pull out? And here she pulls out her address book. And she would go through her address book of all her acquaintances over decades and pray for them. Uh, And so Paul is telling this congregation, you know, I need that sort of prayer too. Put me in your address book. That is so powerful. I've heard a similar story of of a a saint here who Mm -hmm. was here before me at Messiah Lutheran Church. 
that would ask for the directory. And, and part of the reason was, is that he would, he would pray through it in the nursing home and he would pray through it. And then he would basically just cross off all people's names. And, and I think some people are like, what is he doing? Is he, is he chastising my name? Is he going against <laughs> me? Whatever. But he would always ask for a new directory. And it's because when he prayed for them, he would cross her name out to remind that, okay, that person is now in God's hands, not mine. Mm-hmm. And so that is, that is a fascinating thing to teach us in prayer. One, a good discipline. And I encourage our listeners to take something like that. It's a wonderful uh, piety for us as Christian people of how do I stay focused in this? How can I, um, um, and, and, and with everybody that's there, whether they're active or inactive or wherever they might be, that the Lord would open the door to have the mystery of Christ, which is not a mystery. This is very upfront. It's the cross and the empty tomb to be revealed for them that they may be clearly spoken to them and um, through them in their daily lives. That's a wonderful story, Pastor Fearman, of your of your grandmother. What a what a witness that would have been for you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and you know what's nice is that she was she was a, a more of a quiet woman. And when it comes to prayer, you know, in, in American culture, there's extroverts and introverts, and we're noted for being extroverts in our culture and so on. And so you do have people that are are very comfortable with openly praying with others, or if there's a, there's a need or a moment there to say, okay, pray. But but you also, in prayer, have that opportunity, if, if you're less comfortable with that, to do, grab the directory or your address book or whatever it is, or like your secretary, the notebook, and, and, and pray. And it's, and it's something that fits for every personality type. And every personality type might have a little bit different way of approaching things. Every person might. But we're encouraged that that is part of our Christian life. It's it just, it's like breathing. It's just part of what we do. Mm-hmm. And that's why my encouragement to, to everybody is to keep it going. However it works for you in the car, don't close your eyes if you're driving, <laughs> um, you know, uh, wherever you may be, uh, pray to the Lord without ceasing. And I love how he says it here, that the Lord would open to us a door that God would. And a reminder too, that who opens those doors? It's God, not us. It's God who's going to open those opportunities to teach at school, to be on the radio, to uh, to witness to the farmers, to smell the, the dairy air, as you said, all these things. We give thanks to our Lord and we pray as we move forward. Yes. Any other uh, thoughts on those first uh, three verses? Uh I thought we read four. Did we read four? Uh, two through four is what we read. Yeah. Uh, four one, also two, just notes that, that Paul wants to speak clearly. And that's, you know, with all this prayer that we're mentioning here in Paul the Apostle, it's a good reminder, too, that people pray for their pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need it. <laughs> especially so, especially this week. It's Holy yes. Week. And uh, you're looking at Thursday, Friday. Maybe you have a Saturday service or a vigil mm-hmm. or uh, obviously Easter morning, and there's so much. I mean, this is something that is, is deep on my heart is that, you know, there's this question of how many people can fit in the church? Are we going to keep everyone safe? Do You know, how do we do all this and put it together? And each church I found is doing it way differently, you know, and not like, like one person's right and one person's wrong, but, you know, some mm-hmm. are adding services. Some are saying, you know, if you don't feel comfortable, then stay at home. Um, some people are doing communion differently. All this stuff is, is stressful time. So yeah, pray for your pastor, pray for the leadership. Um, and because God will open a door uh, as he always does during Holy Week. Any other Good. thoughts? No, nope. let's, move let's on. go on. Five and six, five and six. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Mm-hmm. Now, 
I said that slower for a reason is because there's a lot packed in there that I think is very applicable for our lives. So tell me, what, what are your first thoughts in these verses? Paul uses a lot of words that are, I mean, that are freighted with meaning throughout the scriptures, even just starting with walk in wisdom. Uh, wisdom, I mean, there's whole books dedicated to that topic in the Old Testament. You can argue that James is one of these books dedicated to wisdom as well. And it, of course, the beginning of wisdom is the fear or the knowledge of the Lord, depending on which verse you're going at with that. Uh, and so, and walk is is used all over the place, which means our life, uh, how we're living, your walk in life. And so, here, walking in wisdom is is basically taking the whole of God's counsel and scriptures and applying it to yourself in such a way that you recognize that the people in the world are watching that walk. Uh, there's also a sense of, of, of frankly, being, uh, as Jesus is wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove, here in how you handle the outside world. Uh, hmm. As Christians, we have an orientation that includes the outside world. We're not, we're not monastic. Uh, and so sometimes we want to be. But there is, there is when... Uh, most people listen to this, you know, work, or maybe they're a student in school, or maybe they're retired and are involved in various community groups. And so, again, there is a uh, importance in how we act and behave uh, that's grounded in Christ. I mean, we, you know, this whole section is all law stuff, but there there is the freedom of the grace that we have in Christ to to walk in a way that to the rest of the world they can see that there's something we believe in that does not seem to be what the world believes in. And there's wisdom in that. Tact. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, sometimes tact has got to be learned. But the best way to learn here from Scripture, at least, is to uh, invest in the wisdom that Scripture itself presents. Just read through Proverbs, and, mm -hmm. and you'll get a sense uh, of some of that and how Proverbs, too, is orientated towards the outside world. And, and Paul, you know, is steeped in this stuff. When we read Scripture... You got to understand, especially especially like a Paul, and especially Jesus, because he's the author, that these people are steeped in the Old Testament in such a way that the language and the things they're talking about is assuming that you have some knowledge of that. And if you don't, that's okay. The Holy Spirit still works through the Word, but it also should drive you to the Word uh, as you as you say, okay, well then, how do I walk in wisdom? And that's and that's the question that we have is. Is, it's interesting because in uh, Colossians 2, verse 6, it says, walk in him as you have received Jesus as the Lord. And it, I found it interesting. I've read a few places where it talks about walking, and we're thinking only about, okay, my daily walk, where I go, what I do, which is true. That's exactly um, part of what he's talking about. But also the walking is staying in the faith. Mm -hmm. so that when you know you are in wisdom, in God's wisdom. And this is a, um, an important piece, too, because... Uh, and, and this is a prayer thing is my encouragement to you, our listeners, is as you're walking in the world, stay strong, stay steadfast in Christ as you do everything. And everyone you come in contact with at work, at the store, include them in your prayers. You don't need to know like specifics that they need, but pray for them and say, Lord, um, be with them. If they do not have faith um, this, I pray for their families, pray for everybody. And this is a way of walking in wisdom too, making the best use of your time of where God has planted you. And that's, like you said, there's a lot of words here that we could probably spend our whole time on, but he's mm -hmm. definitely admitting 
and and Paul's comfortable in that outside world, right? I mean, he goes to Ephesians, he goes to these other cities. He doesn't go hide. He goes to synagogue, but he doesn't stay there. He goes on the streets. He's talking to people. He's arguing. He's getting. He's in flip by going to jail. He's all these things, and and he's definitely comfortable being in the world, um, but making sure that the the world does not. Um, take away the wisdom that he has in knowing Christ. Yeah, and you ask it. You ask a little bit, like a, a more practical sense of what that means. I would direct listeners to uh, Psalm one, because that mm -hmm. talks about the mm -hmm. way you should walk, and then how that works out, which is actually finding yourself in the Word, uh, meditating on that is chewing on the Word of God is a great way to start exploring that whole wisdom talk. Yeah, that's good. To our listeners, I would encourage you to look up. Uh, you can pause this right now if you, as, you, as you're listening or, or whatever it might be and look up Psalm 1 because that definitely points us to that wisdom. So verse 6, he speaks about our speech um, to be gracious and seasoned with salt. I'm thinking of this because I just made barbecue ribs the other day and I put <laughs> some salt on there and some pepper. And, and what, does he, what does he mean by this? It's just speech be well, like he means exactly what you're saying. Uh, that... <laughs> That this is, it's a tasty sense, you know, well, well seasoned food. So as we walk in wisdom towards outsiders, uh, we make the best use of the time, which we should talk about in a little bit. But the speech, you know, speech should be gracious, number one. So there's a kindness in the way that we speak. I, I don't like always the word kindness or be nice, but it means that, you know, we have an orientation towards people that we love people, that we have, we care for people. Our speech should reflect that. Seasoned with salt, then, is, how can you say, it should be tasty. Um, and so, you know, it's not crude. It's, it's not uh, lined with profanity. Luther needed to learn this sometimes. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's not full of gossip. <laughs> but, it, but, it's, but it's in such a way that is attractive to people. Uh, and and it goes on that this gracious speech, this this speech that is, is spoken lively, uh, in in a nice way, is a way that you you can answer each person. And I, I should say, a lot of people get nervous with that because they say, "Well, I, I don't know how to answer every person." It's not having the academic answer at your fingertips. You should know the gospel. You should know John three sixteen. But it is also in the sense of as you move along in life, and people say, "Well." Why did you do? Why did you offer to pray for me? Why did you do that? Why Why are you not participating in that activity? Why Why did you Why are you going? Why are you busy on a Sunday morning? You should just say, "Well, this is why," um, or grounded in in joy and say, "You know, there's many things in the world that give people joy. Um, this is what gives me joy. It's a lasting joy. It's not going to go away. You might enjoy your boat, but your boat's going to break someday. But I have this joy in this Christ who's alive." It's not, it's not like a comp, we make it way too complicated. Up here in Wisconsin, mm -hmm. I got a lot of folks that are Packer fans. Mm -hmm. um, they have absolutely no problem knowing how to answer anybody on why the Packers are the greatest team ever. <laughs> why is that? Because they know all the stats? No, not all of them know all the stats. But, but they take joy, they take pride in, in that particular team, and so they invite people into that joy. And in the same way, too, you know, in our faith, wherever you are in your knowledge, you have that joy in Christ and you can invite people into that and just say, you know what, let's say you don't know how to answer their question. You say, I know where we can find an answer. Let's go talk to my pastor or let's go talk to my friend that knows this or just come with me to church and, and check this out. 
Uh, and so the speech is always gracious. It's seasoned with salt. It's not putting this big pressure on you to know everything perfectly. It's just as you go along, let your words reflect the faith that you have in you, the joy that you have in you. As we hear these words, I want to talk a little bit beyond our break about, you know, how, how do we do this? What does the catechism say about these kinds of things? And uh, to, to maybe dig in a little more in the Packers language. No, it's kidding. Um, <laughs> but right now it's time for us to take our break. We are studying Colossians chapter 4 with Pastor Ryan Fearman, and we will be right back. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org and welcome back. We are studying Colossians chapter 4 with Pastor Ryan Fearman. And as we have been talking, we've been very simple instructions about prayer, about how we act, and the answers that we are to have. And it strikes me because he speaks about being seasoned with salt so you may know how you ought to answer each person. And I can't help but think about where it says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone, this is from 1 Peter chapter 3, mm -hmm. who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. Obviously, this goes into, like you said, you teach some apologetics at the high school. This mm -hmm. goes into how we speak about these things, how we treat people. Um, but any thoughts on that? I mean, I thought that related to 1 Peter so well. Yeah, um, respect. So respect towards the other person. Our orientation is always outward. When it comes to apologetics, Sometimes the study of apologetics is most useful to a Christian just to ground them uh, in their faith because of the opposition of the world and the things that come up there. But when it does come to actually, and I, in case people don't know what apologetics is, that is, that is basically the study of defending the faith. So, you know, if you have all the right answers, that's great. But if you don't have gracious speech or season with salt, in a sense, knowing what to say in a situation or in the sense of not, this is not academic again, but, but understand where, you know, sometimes a person is grieving and they just need to have you listen to them, hmm. you know, not jump in the first five minutes and say, all right, let me tell you about Jesus rose from the dead. And you're like, the person is grieving there. Um, <laughs> You know, there's that's that's what the verse is talking about. And when it does come to apologetics, the goal coming out of like what Peter's saying here, uh, or Peter's saying what you read in here in Colossians, Paul is saying, is not to win. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> especially for us academic-minded people, sometimes the goal of a, of a discussion, going into a debate or an argument, is to win. The goal is to place the gospel in front of that person. Uh, that might take a long time, mm -hmm. but that, that's, a, you know, that's the goal. Uh, and so, and to walk alongside that person in whatever they're experiencing and then bring the grace that you have experienced, the hope you've experienced, the joy you've experienced to four in that. The apologetics, the real, the fancy high-end apologetics, which is important, 
uh, which talks about, you know, how can we be sure that scriptures are true? How can we be sure that Jesus rose from the dead? How can we philosophically defend that there exists a God and things like that uh, that come alongside scripture are useful when those questions come up. But really the task is, as scripture presents it here, is to be able to answer each person where they are with a clear, as Paul asked for prayer before, a nice clear account of the gospel at that point. And this is something I want to take one step back. Sure. Because what you just said is so, I mean, it's so perfect. And I, and I led you in that direction with First Peter chapter 3, is to take one step back because I had a great conversation just this morning. Mm-hmm. As my drive my daughter and um, somewhere and and we just kind of talked about um, serving our neighbor because sometimes you're driving and you kind of like you let someone go ahead of you as a Minnesota way of doing things like oh let him go ahead. I serve my neighbor today like well okay let's <laughs> you might have actually broken the law the whole time but anyways but serving the neighbor and we were talking about how um, in the catechism it talks about how um, an eighth commandment defend him speak well of him and explain everything in the kindest way. And this goes back to our uh, in chapter three, put away then all slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie. And, and all this language is, is reminds us of sometimes being seasoned with salt is that you don't say anything like mm-hmm. this is. And, and, and my daughter says something along the lines of, you know, I wonder what people are talking about me. And, and, and I said, yeah, you don't want to know. You don't want to know what people are talking about you. Because none of us like it when we hear people are talking behind our backs, but yet our interests are always perked to actually hear what's going on in other people's lives, right? We don't want anyone yeah. doing that for us, but we're, we're, we are very tempted to try to do that. And I understand what she was saying, but it was, it was interesting to me to think about how a season of assault at times can be that we're not saying anything and we're serving our neighbor and we're giving glory to God. Any, any thoughts on that? That's something that came up in my mind. Yeah, there's, I've, I've met people who take the verses and say, well, you should speak the truth. And they think that they should speak the bald-faced truth in every situation. Right. Uh, and sometimes that causes damage. Not that the truth is wrong, but Paul is talking about, you know, for him to speak clearly and how I ought to speak. And in the same way he applies it to us as Christians, that there's, there's a graciousness to how we speak, that we can get impatient, we can get upset, but we should be gracious uh, because Christ has been gracious to us. So in a sense, we speak as if Jesus were speaking, seasoned with salt, which again is, is language that's going to be applicable or, or not speaking, knowing the situation. You know how to ought to answer each person. That answer might be silence. There are times. There's a great episode in the book of Daniel where you have these guys, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they don't want to worship this giant idol, and they're going to be thrown into this fiery furnace. And basically, they give, the king says, well, what do you think about that? And what God's going to save you? And they basically reply to him and, and say, we don't have to defend ourselves at this point. Uh, you know, if God saves us, he'll save us. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. And that's how they end. And they don't, you know, they right. don't go into a, a launch, a long apologetic on who God is and how, how majestic he is and how dumb you are and stuff like that. They just say, you know, <laughs> we, we don't have to answer you, O king. It, God will do what he's going to do. And that's it. And so there, yeah. that's the how you ought to answer uh, is, and, and you know, again, you know, I worry about people thinking that somehow there's this course that I'm going to take and I'm going to know how to answer everyone at every time. That's not what is intended here. It is intended here that you have a thoughtfulness 
to the situation that you're in, uh, an awareness and a sympathy, that's the graciousness too, mm -hmm. to the person that you're discussing and, and know when to open your mouth in a certain way, when to keep it closed and when to use a certain answer, when to speak truth quite plainly and openly and other times to season it a little bit uh, to make it palatable for the situation. And that is where we have to be. Um, and that's something we are always thinking about, always repenting over. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, and and, and like, like you said, there's times where, you know, you'll say, oh, well, that person just kind of said it at the wrong time and the wrong way and all this. Well, the reality is, so have I. So <laughs> you have to, there's a lot of repentance on our own ends as we look at this. But as a good reminder, as our parents do, if you have nothing good to say, then say nothing at all, which is a good <laughs> yeah. advice um, for a lot of times. And we pray for wisdom, as he says, walk in wisdom to care and love for others, as we pray that people care and love for us in the same way. So we make a transition here in the mm -hmm. last uh, verses, 7 through 18. And this is a lot of fun. So I'm glad we have about uh, quite, a, quite a while here to look through all this, because it has important people that I want us to break down. At the same time, the importance of the body of Christ being together. This is throughout Paul's epistles, is the we are the body of Christ. And so I just I wanted to make, have that thread go through everything as we hear these words for you, our listeners, is to think about who are the people that have walked with you in faith? Who are the people that have nurtured you in this faith uh, with us or with the Lord? Um, and to one, thank God for that, but also maybe this is a time, as he said, to pray, to pray for those individuals as we study God's word. So let's continue verses seven through nine and let's dig in. Okay. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. All right. So he brings up two people. I saw the pronunciation as Tychicus. Is that is that right? I mean, you, you're the archaeology guy. You know the name. That, that's how I pronounce it. All right, good. All right. Um, whether right that's right or page. wrong, I don't, I don't know. But that's that's what I usually say. <laughs> so we have uh, Tychicus and Onesimus. So yep. tell us about those two people. Tychicus is someone that's traveled quite a bit with Paul. Remember, all these people, he's Paul's staying in prison now in Rome. Uh, and so these are the people that are there with him. Uh, Tychicus, uh, I know, was in Acts 20. Uh, he's, mm -hmm. he's part of the collection for Jerusalem where they were collecting funds and stuff to take to the poor Christians that were there. Uh, and so, and I think he's from Ephesus. I think, I think what, what one guy I was reading about said that, that he's kind of there in the background a lot and he seems to be a friend of Paul. And what I mean by, I mean like, you know, friend of Paul. So he's, he's really someone that's, that's been with Paul through the whole thing, mm -hmm. uh, in experience, mm -hmm. but he's, he, he's from the same town you know, uh, that Paul is. And so, right, right. yeah, he's a fellow, he's a fellow worker. He's a, my beloved brother. He's a faithful servant, fellow servant. So there's that unity of the church that you want to bring up. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he's, he's the letter carrier basically for this letter. And he is not only the letter carrier, but he is also someone that is going to bring encouragement to them. Paul has great confidence in him. He's never been to the, the church that he's writing to at this point. Mm -hmm. And, uh, mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, he, he sent, sends him along with. Onesimus we run into in Philemon. Onesimus is an escaped slave uh, who found his way to Paul. And Paul will probably send with Onesimus the letter to Philemon uh, along with, with this one, and which is telling Philemon to, you know, 
treat Onesimus as a brother, which in another is, is a very kind, seasoned with salt, gracious way of saying, maybe Onesimus shouldn't be a slave. Right. Uh, yeah. So uh, in churches, slave and, and, and master, free, whatever, were treated equally. And so, so Onesimus is, you know, there's a whole letter about him. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and Paul speaks highly of him, beloved brother, who is one of you. Uh, so he's, he's, he's really building him up as they go to the congregation. Uh, that who this guy is, and he will—he's also part of this entourage that's that's bringing the letter. And then that background is so helpful because when you read it, you're like, okay, he's got a letter. He's sending a few guys. No big deal. Well, like you said, Tychicus first of all shows that that Paul did not like. I'm sending him, and he's maybe subservient to me, but he's mm-hmm. a good second place. No, he says fellow servant. I mean, this is we are together in this. And he's coming not just as a person, but he's coming as another Barnabas. He is this. He is an encourager. He's going to come and tell you all the good things that God is doing because they needed that in, in, in Colossae. They needed that. Well, we need that in every church. We need to hear of because sometimes we get in our little boxes and we kind of assume that what we're going through, everyone else is going through, or everyone else is doing great and we're not doing so well, and whatever it might be. And and that's why he sends it. So that that's a good reminder that is more than just a letter being sent. This is a person who's coming here in the name of the Lord. Then he's got this guy with him that was a slave in Colossae, right? And then he he leaves his master, which was a big deal, big problem. And I encourage our listeners to read Philemon. Um, and maybe when you're done with this, read Philemon because it gives you a little more context of, of Onesimus and the understanding of Paul basically saying, I send him to you as a brother in Christ. Uh, basically not like, okay, take him again as a slave, forgive him, move on. No, it's like treat him as a brother, like a fellow servant, treat him equally, saying he is one of you, not a slave in the community, but a member of the Colossians. So this is, I mean, this is major stuff in those two verses that often I just kind of read them and moved on and thought, okay, what's the next book? Oh, First Thessalonians, let's get to it. No, I mean, this is significant things to remind us of our daily walk in Christ here as well. And Paul's surrounded by these people. And honestly, uh, in his imprisonment, these people uh, leaving are a loss to him. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, Tychicus is a good friend. Onesimus, he says in Philemon, has been very useful to me. Uh, but but he, Paul's orientation is always outward towards the churches. Uh, and so so he sends them. So it's kind of like, a, you know, a church has their pastor and they say, well, we don't want him to leave. We don't take a call or you have a, a secretary that you do a love and all this kind of stuff. And Paul was a very good model for us to show, you know what, sometimes you send people out and they send people um, to go preach the gospel. And we want to hold on to them. We want to keep them in our grips because they really helped me out. But Paul's very good at reminding us that the, the mission is to go out and sometimes people people leave, sometimes we leave, but yet the gospel will continue to go and grow. Um, any other thoughts on those first verses? No, let's go on. All right, so let's read 10 and 11. We get a few more names. Uh, verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Aristarchus and Mark, and uh, see here, Jesus or Justice. Uh, yeah. Tell us about these guys. Aristarchus is another travel companion like Tychicus. Uh, he's from 
uh, Thessalonica, I think, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yep. Macedonian area, and and he's too with the, with the uh, money collection to Rome. And when you get Tychicus and Aristarchus and, and these guys together, they are showing the unity of the church uh, when they go to Jerusalem and how the Gentile church and here's there's a Jew and a Gentile here. They're all supportive of each other uh, in these in these connections. And so it's the word that's interesting to me when I was looking at the Greek was fellow fellow prisoner. Prisoner there is not just prisoner; it's prisoner of war. Uh, which is an interesting mm -hmm. picture, you know, that, that Paul feels very much that, you know, there's a battle going on with the gospel behind the scenes. And so uh, it's not that Aristarchus is necessarily imprisoned with Paul, but that he has chosen to stay there with Paul. Uh, is he's, he's a fellow than prisoner, in a sense. Paul's under house arrest. Mm. Um, interesting guy. Another guy that, that is kind of in the background, but is, but is around a lot with Paul. One of his uh, entourage is not the word I want, but, you know, traveling companions. It's the right. guys that, that right. he hangs out with. Uh, right. We all need that. Just like you mentioned yep. secretaries for church. You know, we, we all have people that help. Next guy, though, is big deal guy. I mean, this is Mark. This, this, is, this is John Mark. This is the Mark that the gospel of Mark. We, we think he's the writer of that. We think Mark spent time with Peter and maybe the gospel of Mark is, is some of Peter's preaching in there. Mark mm -hmm. is Mark has an interesting history with Paul. Uh, we find out here that Mark is the cousin of Barnabas, and Barnabas was Paul and Barnabas were a team. They were a mm -hmm. missionary team, and they brought Mark with. He was he was young, and Mark turned back at one point. And so the next time Paul and Barnabas go out on on a big trip, Barnabas wants to bring Mark, and Paul's like, "No, this guy turned back on this. Uh, I, I, you know, he, he flaked on me." And so they get into a disagreement and Paul and Barnabas, the team splits up and Barnabas takes Mark and Paul goes on with some others. Right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, and, I, and so here, I mean, I kind of read this, but I forgot about it. This is like a sign of reconciliation between Paul and, and Mark and probably Barnabas. I'm guessing. Yeah. Is that, that kind of what's telling us. Yeah. Mark's there. Uh, right. And so, yeah. So obviously the problems work their way out and it's really interesting you know, I, I, I'm moving into a little bit of speculation and you always have to be careful with that. And you mentioned Kleinig and he doesn't like speculation at all. Um, <laughs> but there's a sense where Barnabas is justified and Paul was wrong. Mark's a gospel writer. You know, that's, that's, mm. this is, this is a very faithful man. Uh, and, and, and blessed by God with, with a particular role in the church. And so it's a good reminder the scriptures are true. And when Paul writes in the scriptures, they are the literal word of God. And we actually have a verse in this we're going to hit that's going to show us that. But right. there's but there's also a sense that these are real people we're dealing with. That, you know, Paul has to make decisions. Sometimes the decision may not have been the right one. Or maybe God used that decision in a way that while there was a split up of the team, you know, God used it in the end for good. And there is this reconciliation that goes on. You know, these are real living, breathing people we read about. Sometimes we have a tendency to look at them as stained glass, uh, you know, as mm -hmm. pictures in there. And, and really there's lives going on. And it, it, it just makes it to me, archaeology, history background, just very, very exciting. It puts a little flesh on the words in a sense. But you're right. There is reconciliation that has occurred. In fact, I think Mark, Mark's mom had a church in her house too, if I recall from Acts. I mean, this it's interesting that these people, you know, these people all know each other. We don't always realize that. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's much like when you read the genealogies in the Old Testament that you're like, wow, these 
some of these people lived at the same time. Like, how would that happen? You know, I didn't know that. And 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 the same thing here is that uh, it's like we will say often it's a small Missouri Synod world. Well, it was a small church in all, all a yeah. spectrum of everything. It wasn't that big. And so they knew each other. They respected each other. We, they might not have even liked each other. I mean, that's the other part of this. And we think they all had the same personality or something. No, they were sinful people just like you and I. So so they go through all this. Um, so tell us, let's move on to the next person. Uh, Jesus uh, or called justice. Any, we, any thoughts We don't on him? really know much about him. So I couldn't find anything <laughs> on him. I'm sure that there's some tradition somewhere. But but practically speaking, yeah. And he probably, I mean, Jesus is, is the Latinized version of Joshua. Right, uh, and right. so, but maybe he didn't want to have the same name, and so they they called him Justice instead. Uh, or yeah. it's a, it's a it's an ancient world thing. You'd have dual names, a Jewish name and a and a Roman name like that. But that's true. That's yeah, true. but it's not. These are the only Jews that are with Paul right now. Uh, so mm-hmm. only a small small group. Uh, that's true. That's true. I, 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 I kind of read over that very much so. And I think about this Jesus guy. Can you imagine to say, you know, I knew a guy named Jesus before, you know, <laughs> yeah. is, is he kind of like you? Like, oh man, that'd be tough. Anyways, let's move on 12 through 15. Sure. Epiphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assumed, assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Aeropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, so does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Okay, there's a lot of names here. Epiphras, who's that? Well, you, you, you guys know who Epiphras is because he's our, you covered him at the yeah. beginning of Colossians. He's the pastor of yep, that yep. church. And it looks like he's the pastor of a tribe parish. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, yep. uh, circuit riding on that. So what's interesting to me in that as a pastor is to see, here's an example uh, for a vocation that he struggles he, or wrestles, if you prefer the, that in the Greek, on your behalf in his prayers. Uh, so that a pastor needs to be praying for his people. And there's the content of those prayers mentioned there, that they are they stand mature, that they grow in the faith and are fully assured of the will of God, which is in Christ Jesus for them, uh, which is gracious and merciful towards them. But that's the content of the prayers then. And Paul commends this very much. Uh, and he mentions he works hard for them, but some of that working hard is that struggling in prayer. I, I think as a pastor, it's very, very easy to forget that one of the more important things we're called to is to pray for the congregation. It's in the ordination, right? Mm-hmm. It's in our call papers. And it's, it's difficult because it's not something that's seen. Uh, and, and I don't mean that pastor out there wanting to be seen, but what I mean is it's one of those behind closed door things that you're like, oh, okay, you know, I, I got that, but I've got our stuff. I got this committee meeting. I've got this and so on and so on so forth. Uh, but this, this is like a pretty intense kind of prayer that it describes in here that he's doing. Yeah, and we often think two things. Number one, you think prayer should be easy. It's just a flow off the tongue and everything feels good. And no, there's there's times it, it's a struggle. And secondly, you know, if you're in your office and you're praying and someone shows up, sometimes people are, well, okay, he's not doing anything. So, hey, let's let's talk about the Packers or something, you know. And yeah. I think it's, it's hard to unpack that and show that it's important. And um, we could talk all day about that. But clearly, Epiphras loves this congregation. He wants the issues that they have um, to be reconciled. He's seen it, obviously, in Mark and uh, Paul and seeing all these things. So definitely showing us a good example 
of a pastor. But let's let's move on to Luke. This sure. is interesting. I had never, because um, I always heard that Luke is a physician, and I, I know I've read this before, but it's interesting because <laughs> you read the, the Gospel of Luke, you read Acts, and you're like, okay, there's Luke. And I was like, oh, but okay, everyone tells me he's a physician, but okay, where does that happen? Here it is. The only reference that says that he is a physician. Any yeah. thoughts on Luke? Yeah, well, Luke is uh, the author of the Gospel of Luke and then of Acts. And he's obviously traveled with Paul in Acts. There's a transition where you can kind of tell where Luke picks up the story when he joins them. Uh, but, but yeah, Luke, Luke is in, think of this, Paul is sitting there and you have Mark and you have, you have two gospel writers right. hanging out. I mean, I, I've, I never comprehended that before that they all are just mm. hanging out. And, and that's a great strike against some folks in the higher critical Bible world that say, well, Paul created Christianity and he's got his own version. These guys are all talking to each other. Right. You know, if, if, wow. if one of them is being weird about stuff, the other one can say, you're being weird about stuff. <laughs> that's not how it happened. Uh, you know, so the, it, there, there is a small Christian world and so they're hanging out and, and here it is. Yeah. We, we find Luke's a physician. The longer story goes that he was probably a slave, um, and slaves in that time period were not just blue collar workers in the field, but they were also white collar. So a family might train a, a slave to be their family doctor. It's a different world than we think of American slavery. Definitely. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. but Luke is with Paul. He travels with Paul. Uh, Paul might have physical ailments. Luke is with him. Interestingly enough, when we when we come to Luke again, he's going to be in Second uh, t- uh, Timothy. We'll see his name mentioned, and he'll be the only one with Paul. Paul mentions that mm. he's the only one That's with true. me. He's there in a sense to the bitter end. But yeah, he he's mentioned here as the physician. So uh, he's a doctor. He probably is the one who told him to drink a little wine for his stomach. I think that was Luke. What do you think? Well, it could, that could be where, where Paul got the Paul got the advice from it. And, and then we got this other guy here, Demas. And Demas mm-hmm. is really interesting because in the same place in 2 Timothy, we find out that Demas has abandoned Paul for the love of the world. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about Demas is not that he falls away to me, but the fact that you have Paul has his, in a sense, Judas. And it's a reminder that in the church and in ministry, too, that you can be the best preacher. You can be the most Holy Spirit-filled, you know, all, all, all these uh, names you want to put on it. You're still going to have folks that fall away for various reasons. Right. Uh, and that's part of a sorrow to have. But, but you know, we are not better than Paul. We are not better than Christ. And so this is part of the sorrow that pastors care uh, carry family members sometimes carry, but we can actually see this here in the text that there's Demas. We'll see him later fall away. And that's a good reminder of that struggle that Epiphras is going through, yeah, and yeah. a reminder of of uh, of us to always leave it in God's hands. So let's let's finish here. We have about two minutes before I know. we have to be done. So <laughs> let's get to let's get to the rest here. Sure. Um, let's see here. Fifteen. Uh, where are we at now? You read fifteen. Uh, yeah, let's go to 16 so through me, the end. Okay. Oh, go ahead. You have one thing? Oh, Nympha, no. Nympha just has a house church. And oh, right. I, I would love to talk a long time about that, but I'll just tell you this. People have a view of house churches in the ancient world of people sitting on the couch chatting. Right. That is not what they were. Nympha probably was a, a woman of means. They would dedicate a room or rooms or a whole house to a formalized church setting with liturgy and all that kind of stuff or a baptistry sometimes. Um, and so whenever you see this counter up with a house church, I just want, and we have some, we've excavated some, I just want people to understand that they're using it in a way that we would use our church buildings. It's just in a house. Right. 
Right, exactly. And that'd be a that'd be a fascinating archaeological study with our friend Ryan Fearman at some point. Anyways, let's continue on, verses sure. 16 through 18. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see to it that you also read the letter from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Okay. A lot of, there's a lot of things here, but we have about a minute and a half. So Yeah, okay. Well, um, the, the, a very important word in here in the Greek is in 16, where it says uh, the, the, to have this letter read. Um, read the letters. Th- that word that's behind that in the Greek is the word that Paul would use and other people would use, read the Old Testament in church. So what that's meaning here is that this letter is being regarded as scripture. Yeah. I mean, he's literally saying that. So when we talk about, well, where's the evidence in the New Testament that they consider the scripture? Well, here's one of these places saying that a New Testament letter is scripture. Hmm. Um, there's this other letter that, that pops up. There's theories on what that is. Some say it's lost. And, and Paul, has, we have a lost letter to the, to the Corinthians. We don't know where it is. That happens. On the other hand, it could be some people suggest a letter to the Ephesians. We're not sure. Uh, Archippus uh, is a fellow soldier. He's mentioned in Philemon. He might be part of Philemon's family. We're not sure. Uh, Paul gives some instructions there. And then 18 is really important because Paul signs it. Because other on papyrus, with the kind of ink they had, it was a skill to write. But Paul signs it to give his seal that this truly is his letter. He can't write the whole thing. He probably has a secretary that does it, possibly Luke. But he signs it so people know this is really his. Because there's been some fake letters going around that say they're from Paul. But he signs it and his handwriting is distinct. We're going to have to end it there. Pastor sure. Ryan Fearman of Zion Lutheran Church in Wausau, Wisconsin, giving us lots of grace as we end our time in Colossians. Pastor Fearman, thank you for being our guest. Thank you for having me. Saints of our Lord, be steadfast in prayer and let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. There are people surrounding you, pointing us back to Christ. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm.